Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much uh, for being here with us today. We've got a fantastic panel to discuss a theme which is very, very closely associated with the India growth story. Um, it is uh, the story of India's digital public infrastructure. Um, it's a story where there's been profound transformation affecting the lives of more than a billion plus in India. It's a story where India's experience, our digital backend, our infrastructure, and our professionals believe that there is promise of extending this technology to several other parts of the world. This is something that was discussed at great length at the G20 process as well. For those of us uh, who may not have been to India or um, uh, may not be aware of the situation in India, we are increasingly an app-based society. And it's not just private apps, but wonderful government apps which add to the ease of living. They add to the notion of empowerment. Uh, apps such as Aadhaar, DigiLocker, DigiYatra, multiple banking services which uh, operate now exist across the country on a fairly robust 5G network uh, which is actually being scaled up substantially. Joining us uh, in this conversation, Smriti Irani, the Union Minister of Women and Child Development. Thanks, ma'am, very much for being with us. Ardhanesh, uh, the President of the Confederation of Indian Industry. Arvind Krishna, the Chairperson of IBM. Romal Shetty, the CEO of South Asia uh, of Deloitte. R.K. Singh, the Secretary of the Department of Promotion of Industry and Internal Trade uh, with the Government of India. Uh, Chandrajit Banerjee to my left, the Director General of the Confederation of Indian Industry. I'd like to go across first to the Minister, Smithy Irani. Uh, Ma'am, you know, you speak so passionately about empowerment. You speak about women's rights. But when we speak about India's digital transformation uh, and the digital uh, infrastructure which exists, how is it ultimately about empowering a billion plus in our country? I think one of the greatest examples of empowerment and bridging the gap was witnessed when the pandemic hit globally. We are a nation which was for decades in the vaccine line. The fact that India's inherent capacity to innovate frugally, to deliver to beneficiaries the promise of good governance was in some way juxtapositioned digitally and the fact that digital democracy can deliver timely so and justly so was most visible during the pandemic. That we in a country when the world's back was to the wall could manufacture vaccines, deliver it and the delivery was tracked digitally, 200 billion doses. And that apart, that we extended with a sense of humility and with our promise to serve larger aspects of humanity to 160 nations, the pharmacological success of India was, I think, resolute and resounding across the globe. But more so when we speak about the tenets of democracy. How has digital India delivered? This year, 945 million Indians are eligible to vote. But when they go to vote, they will go with their bio-authorized cards, which will help the officials identify them. That after the last vote is cast, it is computed through electronic machines and declared in just three days. Tell me a more vibrant democracy in the world that delivers electronically or digitally democracy itself. Absolutely. Uh, 
Mr. Krishna, let me come to you next. You know, the minister very passionately speaking about uh, digital transformation and, and, and uh, democracy through a, the digital prism which exists. How much of this can actually be taken outside? What are some of the experiences which you feel can be translated into something substantial in other markets? So two, two aspects to that. First, I absolutely agree with the minister in terms of the empowerment it brings to all of the people as well as the growth opportunity it brings. Let's first talk about the services side. So if I look at just the pandemic, to stick to that example, during the pandemic, people were working remotely, people were working from home. If the digital infrastructure did not exist, that meant that we would have had 10 to 20 million people out of employment and unable to work. I'll give you our experience. We have tens of thousands of people in India, 98% productivity through the entire pandemic, through the worst of it and through all of the remote working that had to happen. Without that digital infrastructure, and it's more than just a telephone line or a VPN or a remote PC, it meant that they had to be able to function from home. So all of the apps, all of the delivery, all of the e-commerce allowed and enabled that to work. That, by the way, can be measured in the hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of uh, productivity and in terms of GDP contribution towards India because of the DPI. The second is the opportunity that I believe is going to come, and you're right, it was discussed during the B20. I think it'll go faster maybe in another year or two, but people are looking at the low cost, the fact that half the world's digital transactions are now happening over the UPI system in terms of volume, and at a cost that is 1%, um, that which other countries are seeing. And that is something which people are looking at now and saying, can we build such a system? By the way, it's more than just payments. People think about it like that. It is taking out and making sure that the policy and the intention of the government can be met when the money flows directly to the intended recipient. That is something which countries all over the world struggle with and which can be brought to bear. So two sides, export the actual service out of India, so a true meaning of the word globalization here, and two, take what was done and export it to the rest of the world. Ma'am, would you like to just come in on that point? Uh which Mr. Krishna spoke about, digital banking and empowerment, the fact that uh, money actually gets to people who need it most, there is no middleman or, or person in the middle, uh, that the entire system of, of rollout of funds, which is so critical in different parts of our sector, is seamlessly done. I think what, uh, to just supplement what Mr. Krishna said, can you imagine when we make a promise for good governance, and as he said, the intended beneficiary gets the benefits directly from the treasury and those who have had a layered disposition for the lack of digital transparency have benefited far too long and unjustly so. So in our governance experience we actually could weed out a hundred million such cases and save lakhs of crores, billions of dollars from our treasury and that is why irrespective of the challenges that the pandemic brought we were in a position not only to bring about policy reform, I think Secretary DPIT can speak better on it, 63,000 hindrances to businesses, globally, not only locally, were taken away so that uh, there is a very, very substantial policy reform which was underway. So India was fighting the pandemic, India was engaging in reform, and India was performing digitally to ensure that our populace is protected. But at the same time, we did not lose opportunities to engage globally. We were never shut for business, even during the pandemic. 
Romal Shetty, um, you know, you've looked very closely at the India stack, India's uh, digital infrastructure, as it were. Um, there is also, and there has to be talk about scaling it up. Uh, there has to be talk about sharing it based on, on the experiences, but as significantly on securing it. Um, data privacy is so critical. On these three points, how do you see the India story going forward? First is just to, I think the, the, the kind of benefits that it, you know, I, I just want to take one example of GSTN and FastTag. Just in six years, what's really happened is before GSTN, a truck in India would drive 250 kilometers a day. Now it drives 500 kilometers a day. Last year, with fast time, we used to collect about 80 crores a day. This year, it's going to 200 crores. The transparency has really made an impact. But what's also impacting the environment is that the time of the toll has gone from, 40, from 12 minutes to 47 seconds. That is 17,000 crores of fuel saved. And this is only going to dramatically increase. Now, just one bit of thing which impacts so many things, businesses from a logistics perspective, just the, the time and of course a little bit of road rage as well I think. Uh, coming to the point of scaling up, I think this is one opportunity where if on the DPIF there is the reach outreach to rural India to every particular point, you know the last mile with digital literacy will actually help even more. The second bit is also how do you take it to other countries because my view is that this is something, this is an innovation that is an incredible innovation. People talk about software services that we've always been extraordinary, but this is a real true product that India has built. And I think it is, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, and India has also talked about the fact that how can we be the repository of all these DPI best practices, the Prime Minister has actually released it to everybody to use DPI. So allowing each country to do its own thing, all right, customize it, uh, I think would be a better way to scale it up as well. And the DPDP bill which has come in because for it, I think the whole thing on Davos has been on AI. You collect the data, that's when AI can actually work. So the DPDP is actually a very good bill that also then protects the end user. So the security of that has also been covered extremely well. You had a point to make now? I think just to uh, complement what Roman has said, we need to contextualize that digitally our services are not delivering only for business, but also segments which are building our social infrastructure. Just to contextualize that position, we have 265 million children in our K-12 systems. We have 41 million youngsters in our higher education systems. We are adding 35 million more seats to our higher education capacities. That being said, only digitally, as of March last year, We've had 5.5 billion learning lessons only and only digitally. We are a country which hosts 12 billion plus QR codes only on learning. So when I talk about the digital vibrancy of India, it is not limited only to profit. And when Robert talks about the act that protects privacy to supplement it, as to how much of data after protecting the privacy of our citizens can be available through our experience in government. I would like to highlight here we have over 600,000 data sets that is made available by the government for industry and the development sector so that you can build your experiences on it. Mr. Dinesh, let's talk now about profit. Uh, and let's talk about uh, Indian companies leveraging our uh, digital backend 
to become more competitive. Um, how do you see that happening? Is it happening enough? I think, you know, to add to what Romel said, if I take the cost of doing business initiative, which I think has been the strong focus from the business and the government side, I think it's a significant leap forward. In fact, I would call it maybe the largest focus of the digital journey has been on two fronts. One is the logistics cost, which he spoke about. But the second is the infrastructure itself, the spend, how it is tracked, and I'm sure uh, R.K. Singh will further add to it, that is where companies were investing both from business perspective as well as from, I would call it, competitiveness perspective, get the visibility of it across the, across the starting of the build to the end of the build. And from the data visibility, I think it's the best in class because just imagine a good which is moving from Chennai to Delhi is being tracked even before it leaves Chennai and is visible to the end user all the way through which again I think is non-parallel as far as any country is concerned. So coming back to company's perspective and I would call it industry perspective, it is just that we are at the cusp of this journey and I think the journey is very exciting. We can go to very different levels. Just talking about cost reduction, the 17,000 crores you mentioned is on fuel, but if you look at the visibility and what it is providing for ease of doing business and cost of doing business, it will be four to five times that. Let me share a, a, a tiny little story. I have a little house uh, which I've built, uh, it means the world to me, right up in the mountains at an altitude of 7,000 feet in the state of Uttarakhand. It's right on top of a hill. It's surrounded by an oak forest. We get the best views anywhere of the Nanda Devi range. I am connected by 5G in the middle of a forest on top of a hill in, in an area which is not even a village. This is how far we have actually managed to take our 5G services. Um, and it's, it's BSNL, which is uh, uh, part of the government, which actually does this. It's a specific technology that they've got and they're increasingly mastering for use in mountainous areas. So that the last mile connectivity we are talking about really functions. Which brings me to my next question to Mr. R.K. Singh. Sir, this digital backend, the India stack that we are talking about, is entirely based at one level on the rollout of 5G or 4G earlier on, 3G prior to that. How do you see this progressing? Um, how critical is it for us to build up this infrastructure? Uh, India has rolled out 5G uh, services across the length and breadth of its country. Over 700 out of our 750-odd districts already have it, perhaps the fastest uh, rollout in the world. We also have some of the lowest uh, data costs in the world. And as a result of this, we've been able to roll out the services that we mentioned. Our digital payment transactions in real time are 46% of the world's digital payment transactions. Every street vendor has a Paytm or some other digital payment mechanism. It's also enabled us to roll out online services from the government directly to the citizens, not only a direct benefit transfer to farmers and other citizens, to businesses through the credit-linked schemes, but also to a great extent we've ensured that uh, from uh, the, the Prime Minister's uh, vision really has been that uh, we've uh, done a lot for ease of doing business. We need to really move on to ease of living for the citizens. So every aspect of a citizen's life, whether it is a birth, when he's born, the birth registration, the death registration, the online uh, water and uh, uh, power connections, all of these are now available online in India across almost every state in India. Ma'am? Um. I will take up from your experience 
on a mountain amidst a forest, uh, and then give you a scenario of WhatsApp in Bengaluru. WhatsApp uh, has had an experience in India where half a million metro tickets are booked only on WhatsApp uh, for metro and uh, the IT professionals in India. Uh, Instagram and WhatsApp, uh, I've heard, and um, I think industry leaders like Rommel and Dinesh Ji can supplement it. Uh, they have small businesses advertising to a value of a billion dollars only on small so-called social media facilities. And I think that apart from big businesses, which speak about the digital infrastructure, the skill set that we have, if I look at the input cost, even from a perspective of rentals, our rentals are 60% lower than Europe, 50% less than the rest of our own region. So not only is it a win-win in terms of the infrastructure and the skill sets, but the overall operational costs of doing business in India has reduced significantly. So while Mr. Shetty spoke about the cost of movement, I think if you present the India case on behalf of all such inputs, you will see we are a great place to do business in. Uh, so let me come to you next, uh, Mr. Banerjee. Can you share a couple of examples of how India's digital public infrastructure has, uh, has transformed, you know, the corporate environment, Indian companies? So, you know, we've heard about the corporate, we talked about profit, but one point I'd really like to pick up is how it's affected a large number of businesses, the small, medium, what our honorable minister was speaking about. See, we look at the numbers, 50 million uh, merchants today, today uh, connected. And that's a huge surge. Uh, one sees that that's really uh, UPI really getting um, the surge within. And we are talking about a billion-odd transaction by 26, 27, uh, so which is per day, which is a phenomenal achievement to go to. And you look at the way the street vendors are using it. You will look at the way uh, it's, it's happening uh, with the SMEs, with the households, uh, the interbank, the peer-to-peer, merchant-to-person, uh, merchant uh, so to say. So all of that uh, leads, is, is also leading to a large number of innovations. So re, uh, uh, you talked about apps. So, so many of them today come up, which gets hooked onto it. So, and, and the best thing of all of this is uh, we see the Indian government and the DP, uh, that DPI is being offered to the world free of cost, which is, uh, which is an example to share with the rest of the world, which also has a huge implication on business if you're offering to other parts, other, other regions and continents. Uh, again, just for the benefit of, um, of our guests over here, I was busy punching away at my uh, digital back-end uh, uh, services to show you something which we were talking about. This is called DigiLocker. Now, I rely on this extensively. Most of us, if not all of us in India would have it. I have my Aadhaar card. That's my national identity card. If I lose it, it's over here. This is le it's a legal document. I just click on it. I get my Aadhaar card. If I need to show it to anybody, I can show it. I've got my COVID vaccination certificate over here. I don't need to carry it. This is what the minister was referring to. I've got my booster dose over here as well. It's also subsequently linked to my passport because that was a problem during COVID. People couldn't travel. So this was then digitally linked. You don't need any piece of paper. My driving license is there. My PAN verification record, that's if I pay my taxes or not, uh, that's, uh, that's there as well. The registration of my car is there, etc., etc. When I... Uh, where I retire, uh, hopefully not too far away, uh, I've got my provident fund details. 
Now, this is a legal document. It's protected through three areas of security. There's an OTP, there's a password, uh, and then there's, there's a basic registration every time that I use it. Roman, we wanted to talk a little bit about security. When we talk about digital, how critical is that? I think security is the, <clears throat> the base for anybody to do business or any, any user to be um, confident that they can do those transactions. And I think the government pretty proactively uh, looked at uh, DPDP. And, and DPDP is actually fairly a comprehensive one. It's, it's, take, it's, it's our own India bill, but it's taken different aspects across the world. Uh, right? And ensuring that the business continues, but having the right amount of regulation. So there is a bit of, there is a significant penalty, of course, if there are breaches. But if digitally a citizen is confident that they can do a, a transaction and that is not going to be revealed to anybody else uh, safely, I think that is the most important of a digital economy. And I think the government has taken that uh, step. Uh, and even, I mean, <clears throat> uh, different people keep talking about Aadhaar and that, you know, whether they've hacked into it or not. Nobody has hacked into it. It's a pretty, I mean, it's a, it's a solid uh, thing and it's, everybody's trying to get into it, but I think they've, they've done a, such a good system. So, assuring security uh, is extremely important for the citizenry, for businesses as well. And, you know, the, 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 the whole thing around KYC, right? We used, to, we used to incur 500 rupees per KYC, now it's 3 rupees, right? And probably even lesser than that. But it also did ease of business. And, for example, today I think the, the, uh, the ministers, like I said, I've never uh, competed with her on statistics. She's got incredible statistics. But how the Anganwadi workers, for example, are monitored, how the Aadhaar is actually used, and how the payment is actually done regularly is, is actually an incredible thing. And I think, you know, she probably is, she, she's got some... Voice to give some new statistics. Um, I am grateful, Mr. Shetty, that you bring issues like nutrition, child health, and women's health to the table, which talks of profit, that you can do commerce with a sense of compassion and care, is a compliment to the leadership of uh, business in India. Um, just to contextualize, um, we run in India the world's largest nutrition program, 100 million beneficiaries, 75 million children under the age of six, 25 million women who are pregnant and lactating. We service it with data every day being filed from 1.4 million nutrition centers, which we call Anganwadi, by 2.2 million women who are working in these nutrition centers. That is the size of our endeavor, fidgetally. I'm amazed by the numbers that you have. Uh, it, truly something. Mr. Krishna, we, uh, Davos this year is all, is all about, even last year, all about uh, AI and the future of AI. You know, we are talking about India's digital uh, public infrastructure. In the future, um, tell us how AI can actually help. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, look, I started uh, evangelizing AI in India about two years ago, and the B20 forum in which the CII was definitely a big uh, progenitor as well as a champion uh, really helped, I think, put that on the map. If you look at AI, AI is going to be a global force for good. Uh, one of the themes here at Davos is is AI equal to the steam engine? And many of us believe that it is actually equal or bigger than the steam engine in terms of its impact on the world. So if you start from there, the question is, is India a participant? Is India simply going to be exploited? Is it a beneficiary? And I'm a firm believer that it is going to be a massive beneficiary. If you look at the demographics in the world right now, 
Many nations have declining populations. So where is the workforce going to come that's going to deploy AI? I believe that the skilling that is happening in India and the digital infrastructure is actually a huge piece of what enables that skilling. I'll give you a small example. So this is small, not big. We were asked, could you help skill women in the extreme northeast of India? A place where there isn't a lot of physical infrastructure, a lot of people hesitate to go given some of the underlying political conditions. But using digital infrastructure, you can deliver that skilling there. Then you think through rural, then you think through tier three cities. So bringing together the skilling, the ability and willingness of people to learn, and the need for both the country and the world to do this, is going to get India to be at the forefront of AI deployment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to uh, thank uh, all of you very much uh, for joining us, and Deloitte and the Confederation of Indian Industry for this uh, session. Um, you know, to give you an idea of what uh, India's digital backend is uh, and the future, uh, the opportunities which exist and how it is ultimately a force of empowerment at so many levels. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day ahead.